Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Let's pray together. God, as we come into your presence this morning and we consider uh, the sacrifice and the, the service of our veterans, um, they point us to a reminder of the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate service done unto us through Jesus Christ. It's he who is the good shepherd and lays down his life so that we might truly live. Father, we gather together in his name. And as we open your word, we pray that we'd be transformed, that we'd be changed, that we would, would live a life called to action, much like the veterans, and that we would do so in service to Christ because of what he has done for us. So God, teach us now, we pray. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you. Um, some of you have shown up and you're like, who's this dude? Where's John Guest? Where's Ed Glover? Who's he? I'm disappointed. Sorry, I am the new senior pastor. My name is Craig Girgo. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, very, very excited to be with you here this morning. I, I want to give you a kind of a disclaimer, I guess. So you, you probably came in here, you opened up the bulletin, and you see the sermon title, and you're like, generosity? This guy's preaching about generosity on his first sermon? What is he, an aspiring televangelist? I promise you, I am not a prosperity preacher. But, uh, in fact, this, service, this sermon series wasn't chosen by me. It's not my fault. <laughs> but I'm actually glad that we're going to be talking about generosity. I'm glad we're going to be in this series. They've done a wonderful job with the set. Love that bumper. And there's something really, really important here for us to dig into. Because here's the thing. I would say this. Nothing gets to the heart of determining where our love lies, like our money. You want to know what a person loves? Let's talk about their money. I, I could also say this about us as believers. Those of you who trust in Christ, who are Christians in this room right now, here's a litmus test for your maturity of faith. How much do you share your money? It's a great litmus test. We're going to have a chance to do this. And here's the question I guess I wonder about being new here. How are we doing with generosity as a church? I'll be eager to find that out. It's definitely a question that we should be entertaining here this morning. Let me tell you about another church far away from here, across the oceans that I've been to. And let me tell you about their generosity. So I've done some mission work in Kenya over the years. And when we were in Kenya, we worshiped with our friends. We'd go there and we'd go to their church. Um, their church service lasts about four hours. No kidding. Four hours of service. You show up, you better, you better make sure you bring a snack because you're going to be hungry. But it's great. You get filled up so much by what they share and by the worship and by the prayer and by the messages. Yes, I said messages because they have three sermons in their worship service. Three. And they also have three offerings. 
So you go into this, this experience, you hear great preaching, you, you hear all of this, it's been a long service, everyone's ready to go. And at the end of the service, the pastor got up and made an announcement. He said, all right, before we leave, we've got one more thing we need to do. He said, we are going to take up an offering for our American friends and emotions toward us. Now I'm thinking, okay, wait, time out. We've already taken three offerings. Can we really stand for a fourth? And, and seriously, you are going to give to us. I mean, these Kenyan people that we're with are poor. They, they live in homes that are made of corrugated metal, dirt floor, one room for an entire family. Some of them don't have beds for the children to sleep on. They sleep on the floor. They don't have enough money to buy food to feed their children. Are they really going to give those of us who live in comfy suburbs in America an offering? I, I was a little bit prepared to be embarrassed as I stood up there and no one came forward to give money. Well, of course, the exact opposite happened. We stood up there and we opened up our hands. They told us to open our hands. And the hundreds of people who were there flooded the aisles. And they all came and they put coins and dollar bills into our hands, an expression of love, an offering to us. Every person, I'm pretty sure, came up, even the children, and put money in our hands. It was an incredibly moving experience. And I learned something that day. Here's what I learned. When a church is spiritual, it is generous. When a church is spiritual, and I'm not talking about like charismatic, spiritual. I'm not talking about that. Pentecostal. No, I'm talking about spiritual. Filled with the Holy Spirit. When a church is spiritual, that church is also generous. You could take that down to a personal level. You as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. If we're spiritual, if we're drinking of the deep things of the Lord, then we will also be generous. They go hand in hand. You can also say that the inverse or the opposite is true, right? The opposite is this, when a church is not spiritual, it is not generous. And so today, we're going to be looking at this because this is an issue that the Apostle Paul addresses in this letter. We call those letters epistles in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Robbie just read it for us. I'd like you to turn there with me right now. We're going to look at it. And we're going to dig into the scripture. And we're going to see what the Lord has for us to learn about generosity. Are you with me? All right. So let's go ahead and read this. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hear the word of God. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Hey, time out. I want to give you a little bit of background so you can understand the circumstances that are present here in this New Testament letter. You see, the Apostle Paul had been working to take up an offering. He had been for a year talking to the churches and encouraging them to give to relief efforts for the poor in Jerusalem. Now, why was Paul doing this? Well, first of all, he wanted to create unity within the church. 
the Jewish believers, the non-Jewish believers like those in Corinth. He wanted them to come together under a common banner, under a common purpose. And so he was taking up this offering to help the poor in Jerusalem. He wanted to create unity. The other thing he wanted to do is he wanted to get the Corinthian believers, the Macedonian believers, out of their own heads. He wanted them to live beyond their own lives, beyond their own communities, and help people in other communities, in other countries. And so they were taking up this relief offering. Well, as it turns out, the Corinthians weren't upholding their end of the deal. Let me tell you about the two major people groups that are part of this text. You've got the Macedonians and the Corinthians. Let's start with the Corinthians. So the Corinthians were people who lived in the largest city in ancient Greece. And they were also known to be the wealthiest people, the richest people in ancient Greece. In fact, if you look at history, the Corinthians are remembered as wealthy people. They were rich. Much like Americans in our present age will be remembered, the Corinthians were those people of their, of their times. They were the wealthy people. Now, as I mentioned, they were not doing their part when it came to this offering that Paul was taking up for the believers, the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so, he was calling them out on it. Did you catch this in verses 10 and 11? They had made some promises and they failed to keep them. So, what does he say? He says, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. They were not following through on their thing. Why would they not follow through on their word? Why would they not do that? Well, I have a theory that I want to present to you. And this theory is this. It's because of their low spiritual level. Their low spiritual level. That's why they weren't giving to the efforts that Paul had said. That's why they weren't keeping their word. They weren't being generous. They had the means to do it, but they weren't. Because remember this. When a church is not spiritual, a church will not be generous. This is contrasted with the Macedonians. The Macedonians, on the other hand, we learn this in the text. They were in deep poverty. Deep poverty. In fact, the, the, the language that's used here, if you go back to the original Greek, the word that des, that, that's used to describe the Macedonians describes a beggar who has nothing and no way of gaining anything. I mean, these were destitute people. And the crazy thing is, they were destitute, most likely because of their faith in Christ. You see, there had been uh, an uprising in Macedonia, and there was conflict about believers, and they were being persecuted. They were being persecuted for their faith, and so they lost their jobs. They lost their jobs because they would not adhere to the idolatrous ways of the Macedonians. And so there was a whole slew of believers, Christ followers in Macedonia who were poor, who weren't able to provide for their families, who were in deep, destitute ways. They were impoverished. Worse than a beggar is what the scripture is telling us. And yet, what do we see here in verse 2? They had rich generosity. This doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. I mean, look at the Macedonian math. That's what I call this. The math, Macedonian math says this, that um, if you go back to verse 2, that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. So overwhelming joy plus extreme poverty. What does that equal? Rich generosity. 
It's unbelievable. This is the Macedonian math, and it doesn't compute with my head. How about yours? How could they have such joy? How could they be filled with such joy that even when they have nothing, they'd be so generous? Well, there's a key word, and it shows up four times in this little passage that we've read. The word is grace. Do you see there in, chapter, in verse 1? It talks about the grace the Greek word that we're seeing here is the word charis. Charis. And charis speaks to a favor. It's favor given by God. This is the same kind of favor that we see reflected in the Christmas narrative. When we see the angel who came to Mary. And what did the angel tell Mary? That she was highly favored. Right? She was highly favored. It's the same word you see in Luke 2.52. When it says that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and man. This word favor is more than just being blessed. This grace is more than just being blessed. It is a blessing that is meant to impact the entire world. It's a grace that is meant to influence people and to bless other people. That's the kind of grace that the Macedonians received. This chorus, this chorus is a grace that's intended to bless others. The Macedonians had received this. In the midst of their poverty, Jesus showed up and they had incredible joy. Now, this favor that was given to them to bless other people tells us something that's really important for us. You might want to write this one down if you're taking notes. And that's this, the key to generosity is grace. The key to generosity is grace. We tend to think of it as being wealth, right? That wealth is the, the key to generosity. No, it's not. Grace is the key to generosity. In fact, when it comes to wealth, there's actually an opposite effect. This is really interesting. If you were to scan the wealthiest cities in America and also scan the most generous cities in America, you would find that there is not overlap. A good example of this is the city of Boston. Boston is one of the most generous cities in the whole, I'm sorry, one of the most wealthy cities in the whole country. However, they are not one of the most generous cities in the whole country. By the way, is it any surprise that Patriot fans aren't generous? <laughs> of course not. Amen. Someone said amen out there. The truth is, though, as much as we want to pick on the Bostonians, we have to turn this and look at ourselves. To what degree are you and I blessed with wealth, but yet are poor in generosity? We have to wrestle with this. We have to consider this. That's what the text is pointing us to do. The key of generosity is grace. And here's the other thing. Giving is an act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. In fact, I'm going to use a term here this morning with you. Grace giving. Grace giving. This is not wealth giving. This is grace giving. And here's what grace giving is. It is when the grace, the favor, the blessing of God has affected your heart, your mind, and your soul in such a way that you can't help but give. It's not God affecting your pocketbook, your wallet. It's God affecting your heart, your mind, and your soul. You've been changed. You've been touched by the grace and the power of God. And so you do this thing called grace giving. It supersedes your bank account. The Macedonians had a high level of spirituality, and so they gave. Listen, Jesus showed up in Macedonia, and it changed everything. Grace giving 
means giving in spite of your circumstances. Has Jesus showed up in your life? If he has, then we should be people who are generous and give. Why? Because the grace of God has touched our lives. When you've experienced the grace of God in your life, you will not use difficult circumstances any longer as an excuse for not giving. You'll give. We will give because of the grace that God's given to us. Let's dive back into the text here with me. We're, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Paul continues and he says, For I testify that they, the Macedonians, gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Did you catch this? They pleaded with Paul. They begged him. This isn't normal. Normal people don't do this kind of stuff. I asked John Guest this morning. I said, John, in your 58 years of being an ordained minister, 58 years, by the way. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? 58 years. In those 58 years, John, has anyone ever come to you and said, John, whatever you do, please, please, please take up an offering, pass the offering plate today. He said, no, that's never happened. No one's ever done that. I mean, do you know Christians who are begging to give an offering? No, we don't do this. It's, it's not a normal thing. Why are they doing it? They did it voluntarily. These people didn't have to be reminded. They didn't have to be coerced into giving. These Macedonians said, sign me up. I want to go. This reminds me of our veterans. Here we are celebrating veterans today. I love that we're doing that. It's appropriate that we do that. We're honoring them. I, I have some beloved veterans in my family line. The first is my grandfather, Dave. My grandpa, Dave, was in World War II. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And he enlisted when his widowed mother passed away. His mother had, had been widowed, of course, as I mentioned. He was taking care of her. And when she passed, he knew that that meant it was time for him to go to war. He voluntarily signed up and went. I love it. That's a part of my family legacy, my family tree. More current, my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law on September 12th, 2001, enlisted for the U.S. Army. 9-11 happened, and he said, okay, it's time for me to take up my duty and go. What an honorable thing to do. It's like what the Macedonians are doing here. The Macedonians are saying, sign me up. I want to give and help those people. Yeah, we don't have any money. We're going to figure it out. We're going to give whatever we can. We'll sell things. We'll make things. We're going to give to these relief efforts because the grace of God has touched our lives in such a way that we have to give. And so here's the thing. Grace giving. We're talking about grace giving. Grace giving means giving enthusiastically. It means giving voluntarily. It means giving without being coerced. I don't need to stand up here and to beg you to give. No, the grace of God will compel you to give because that's what the grace of God does. Let's go back to the text. Picking up in verse five. Paul says, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the, to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. 
I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So Paul makes this remark that the Corinthians had an abundance of spiritual gifts, but yet they were lax in giving. And he points out that, that they excel in faith and speech and knowledge and, and complete earnestness and the love that we've kindled in you. They, they excelled in all those things. It's like they were wrapped up in the gifts of the Spirit and neglected the graces of the Spirit. They were missing something here. I think we do this in the modern church too. There are excuses, okay? There are excuses that people give. For instance, someone might say, well, I sing on the worship team or I sing in the choir. I use my voice to worship God and to lead people to worship God, uh, that gives me an excuse. I don't have to give as much. That's, that's excelling in, in the gifts of the Spirit without embracing the graces of the Spirit. Or someone might say, you know, I serve as a greeter in the church. I have to be nice to all those people on Sunday mornings. You know, I can, I can give a little bit less. I'm giving my time. I'm giving my talent. I don't need to give my treasure as much. Or some might say, you know, I've been teaching Sunday school to kindergartners for 25 years. And we all look at that person and say, you know what, you don't need to give. You've given plenty to the church. No, we wouldn't say that. You know why we wouldn't say that? Because we must never argue that our spiritual service is a substitute for generous giving. This isn't from me. This is from the scriptures. In fact, you know what Paul says? He piles on. He says that you should, you should also giving, excel in the giving of the grace. If you've been gifted spiritually to teach, to sing, to greet, whatever it is, well, then you should actually give more because of what God has done for you, because of his grace on your life. So it's never to be used as an excuse. Then Paul really drives it home, his point. And what does he do? He brings out these contrasts. He compares their faithfulness, he says it, I'm comparing your faithfulness or lack thereof to the faithfulness of others, the Macedonians. And then he says, now I'm going to compare it to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Let's compare what you Corinthians, how you're living, how you're walking out your faith. Let's compare it to the example of Christ, shall we? Let's compare ours to Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Well, Jesus was rich. He's rich in his person. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is all powerful. He can do anything. Jesus Christ is rich. But yet, what did he do? He became poor, the scripture tells us. He became poor. That word, the, the tense of that verb that's used there indicates that what Paul is talking about is the incarnation. He's talking about the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. That's what he's talking about here, that Jesus Christ came and he took on a human body. He left the throne of glory in heaven to become a servant, born in a manger, among straw and animals, and animal feces. This is what he, he came and took, the, he became poor, not only did he become poor through his birth, he experienced the ultimate poverty when he became sin for us on the cross. He emptied himself of his riches. He emptied himself of his wealth 
He said, put it all on me. Put, I'll, I'll trade it all. I'll cash it all in so that I could take on their sin and be the atoning sacrifice for their sin before my father. Jesus Christ became poor though he was rich. And why did he do this? You know why he did it? So that you and I might become rich. And you know we're not talking about worldly wealth here. We're talking about spiritual. We're talking about heavenly treasure. Listen, we have all the wealth of the kingdom of God because of Jesus. He became poor so that we might be rich. Look, we're like the Macedonians. We're bankrupt. We're lower than a beggar. We don't have anything and we have no way out. There is no way that our human efforts, our good works, our righteousness could ever suffice what God requires from us in living. But what has God done? He has sent his son who was rich and he became poor so that we might become rich. This is the argument that Paul presents to the, Macedon- the Corinthians. And it's the same argument for you and I. Why are we generous? Well, here's why we're generous. Because we serve a Savior, Jesus Christ. And giving means giving as Jesus gave to us. Grace giving means giving as Jesus gave to us. That's what we are called to do as believers. This reminds me of the veterans again. There's an organization called Forever Young. And Forever Young serves veterans who who fought in World War II, in Korea, and Vietnam. And those veterans, of course, um, are to be celebrated and honored. They also are to be helped. They're also to be people we come alongside and we support, especially in their senior adult years. Well, there's one gentleman they tell the story of at Forever Young who fought in D-Day. He was there. And when he fought that day, it left an indelible mark on his life. So much so that this 93-year-old gentleman would tell you that he wakes up every day and the first thing he thinks about is D-Day. That's what he thinks about. It's left a mark in his life. It's a, it's a burden he carries. It's a sacrifice that he's made. It's really a picture. As great as that sacrifice is, it's a picture. It's, a, it's just a fragment of what God has done for us in Christ. Christ has fought the, in, the most incredible, bloody battle for us. The battle with sin. The battle for our souls. The battle for our lives in eternity. And he's been victorious. He became poor so that you and I might become rich. And that means grace giving. means giving as Jesus gave to us. The Macedonians got that. And we as a church, we must get it too. One more story. There's an organization called Shepherd's Haven. And Shepherd's Haven is a facility where they care for adults who have special needs. It's a wonderful organization. And they give them community. They also give them jobs. They give them some work to do, which is really great and redeeming. And they even get a little money for it. So there's a a particular guy there who his work is making ceramics. He makes little crafts and he sells them at craft shows. And he sells them for a really low cost, 25 cents. I bought some of his crafts before. And every time this guy makes a sale on a craft, he sets aside two pennies that he gives to the church. Why would a person do something like that? Does, Does that gift even matter? Is it consequential? It is. 
The Lord sees that gift. And what he desires from us is generosity in light of his grace. That person, that man has been touched by the grace of God. And he's responding with generosity. I'll finish by taking you to verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me again. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, the Macedonians did first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to others. Look, there is a proper order of sequence here. You, you can't have one without the other. The first thing is this, you have to give yourself to the Lord. That is the root. His grace is the cause. It's the key to generosity. And so here's my question for you, especially in light of our approaching the table in a moment here. Have you given yourself fully to the Lord? Have you given yourself to Jesus? Because that is the beginning of life. It's certainly the beginning of a generous life. If you have given yourself to Jesus, let me ask you this question. Are you living generously? I mean, are, are you a person who exemplifies generosity, grace giving, specifically with your money? Are you being generous? Remember, the key to generosity is grace. I would encourage you, as you come to the table this morning to take communion, I would encourage you to approach this table and do so with this. Saying to God, God, I give myself fully to you. I partake of your body. I partake of your blood, Jesus. And Jesus, I give myself to you fully today. I surrender my life to you. It's a way you can respond to God. And perhaps some of you can ask this question to God. God, how can I be generous? How can I give? I dare you to ask that question. It's one that he will answer in your prayers. Remember, generosity is the key to giving. Jesus gave it all to us. How can we not give back to him and his people and his work? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for this table that's before us. And Father, it reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor so that we might become rich. We thank you, God, for him. We thank you for his grace and his goodness. And God, in light of what he's done, we desire to give ourselves fully to you. We desire, God, to give ourselves fully to the work of your kingdom in this world. God, would you help us to have the strength to come before you now and to give ourselves fully to you. And then also, Lord, to give ourselves fully to your work in this world. God, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen.